We are back to Unstoppable. Uh, this is season three, last message, and it's going to end with a verse that says that the church continue to grow and multiply, as simple as that. And uh, Unstoppable, always with the goal in mind. And our goal is one thing to look at the book of Acts from how they make disciples. And remember, making disciples is not out of a vacuum. It's not out of a variables where the world is perfect, full of aircon. And no, it's really out of the world. It's full of challenges. And so in uh, season one, today we're going to talk about God is sovereign. I'm going to cover Acts 11, 19 to Acts 12, 24. That's a lot of scripture, okay? But I want to bring out the sovereignty of God as we work through these passages now. So, in Making Disciples in Jerusalem, Session 1, Season 1, that's what we cover, right? Acts 1 all the way to 6, verse 7. And in that little passage, we see that how making disciples from nobody, from just 120 of them, now it grows to 20,000 or potentially even more. And not only disciples were growing everywhere in Jerusalem, but the Bible tells us that persecution were also growing. Something about making disciples always have a certain level of resistance and an environment and a context that actually comes against it. But because God is sovereign, uh, the churches begin to grow. Now, season two, we covered making disciples in Judea and Samaria. So if you can remember, if this is Jerusalem, it covers a bit of uh, Judea and then it covers a little bit higher towards Samaria, northern part a little bit. We talk about the three stories, three key individuals. Philip, first of all, was Stephen, who actually became a martyr. And the uh, first martyr, the Bible recorded that. And then Philip, who took the gospel to Ethiopia, you know, with the Ethiopian, a eunuch that he kind of met on the way. And then you've got the story of Saul, which is really a particular individual that God has set him up for the rest of the chapter. Now, in season three, then we threw it back to one of the most remarkable story. And last weekend, it was Eugene, who did outstandingly, just telling us a story of how Peter took the gospel to the Gentile world. And so now you can see that the main Making disciples no longer just only to the Jewish community, which previously more or less it was, but starting from season two, it started to spread above that. And the Bible tells us that in chapter 10 last weekend, how the gospel actually went to the entire Gentile world. And now the gospel is getting ready to go for a world stage, which is going to happen in chapter 13. So today, we're going to conclude this transitional period. Uh, it's a little bit interesting because in this transitional period, there were many things that happened. So we're going to pick up from Acts chapter 11, verse 19, which is the verse that, well, Eugene didn't really get to cover, but because of time, but it ends really with the story of Peter retolling the story of how God penetrated the Gentile world, all right? So Acts 11, verse 19, the Bible says that now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, all right? Now, I'm going to show you the map uh, shortly after I read the scripture, but they were all the northern part. So they can see that the gospel now goes beyond the Samaria part and all the way to Phoenicia. Cyprus was an island and also to Antioch, very important city. I'll make a couple of remarks uh, shortly. What were they doing? The Bible says that they were preaching the word to no one, but the Jews only. That, you know, Luke was brilliant. He was very detailed. He says when they went all over after the persecution, the focus of the adult, I mean the focus of the crowd was still very much the Jewish crowd, right? Where 
wherever they go, synagogue, and a lot of Jews were converting. And then in verse 20, but some of them are men from Cyprus and Cyrene. I like that. You know, I want to say to some of you that you are watching this, that you could be the some of them. They have a different spirit as we do this food bank. Some of you could be that people. As you're believing God for the mental health, some of you can be the kind of people. As you become people who watch out, you can be the some of them that watch out for people who are in need in your neighborhood. Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. So for the first time, not for the first time, you know the X10, the gospel has spread and they started to go to the Gentile world in the story of Cornelius. But you will find that even in here, in the further part of the north, they were already reaching out to the Gentile world. And then they spoke to the Greeks, the Hellenists. An amazing thing. You know why the Bible says they preached the Lord Jesus Christ and the hand of the Lord was with them. Come on, could you, could you just say that again? And the hand of the Lord was upon them. Could you say that with you? And the hand of the Lord was with us, every one of us, no matter what God has called us to. And then the Bible says a great number, not a small, but a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So there's a little revival up in the northern part. Now, I'm going to capture that in a map for you. So in this map, uh, you can see how the gospel from Jerusalem, it went to Cyprus, it went to Phoenicia, and then it landed at Antioch. All these are very non-Jewish, a good mix of Hellenists and all this, but now the gospel has spread beyond that. Now, the following verses covers from verse 22 to verse 30, actually talk a little bit about Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the whole entire Roman province. But what was significant about Antioch was there was a lot of people, a lot of people getting saved. And eventually, God is going to use Antioch as really one of the most powerful cities that sends missionaries. That's where Saul or Paul eventually was sent out. So you will see, you will find that the gospel started in Jerusalem. As it grows, Antioch somehow became like a first Gentile missionary sending HQ kind of a thinking. Now, what was interesting is, is this, okay? Now, I want you to note that uh, when the revival broke out in Jerusalem, it's about one, two, three two, three years. This is maybe about five, six, seven, you know, around that time when all this was recorded. Uh, so you will find that there wasn't a lot of great planning. It wasn't like they sat down together, we're going to have a summit and how are we going to do church planting? No. It was just as people go about everywhere, what do they do? They just preach the gospel, which I was reminded that in our past two Discovering God, uh, one of the persons that really encouraged me, encouraged me was really Eddie. Eddie is from our Gensing Church. You know, he moved to a new place and then he gotten to know the neighbors. Some of them he gotten to know eight months. Some of them he gotten to know a year. And he brought both neighbors to the to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? So when the Bible says he says go, it wasn't asked us to strategically pack our bag, go to a particular. He says as you go about your doing your daily life, and that's what Eddie did. He go about his daily life, and he went to his neighborhood, and he brought two families to God. Amen for that, all right? So in Antioch, they were, they, they were not in great planner. It was just by the sovereignty of God. Remember, God is sovereign. That Antioch eventually became a critical city that will actually send missionary. Then, the Bible talks about the story of Barnabas and Saul. So if you recall, because of the Antioch, so many people getting saved, the Jerusalem council heard about it. And someone would have sent the news and say, whoa, you know what? A lot of people getting saved. So what happened? Jerusalem council, they then sent, you know what? Barnabas, you know, since Barnabas is from 
somewhere, Cyprus. That was the island. That was his hometown. He says, Barnabas, could you check that out? Because uh, a lot of people are getting saved. So Barnabas went there and he saw that re- remarkable revival. After he spent some time, he then looked out for Saul. Where was Saul? Saul was back at Tarsus. Remember? Saul was Damascus, Jerusalem, and then he went back to Tarsus for about three, five years and he actually spent time there and God was dealing with him. Now, so he went and took Saul, bring him to Antioch, and then the Bible says the church continued to grow. In fact, in the entire passage, chapter 11, there were three to four times. He just kept on saying the church continued to grow, continued to grow, continued to grow. What was interesting then is God sent another Jerusalem prophet by the name of Agabus. And then he began to talk about the incoming famine that's going to hit Judea. And scholars believe that part of it has to do with the persecution. A lot of Christians were shut off and, and shut out and they couldn't get food and you know so uh, what was interesting was the Antioch Christian uh, the Bible says send relief fund to Judea just that remarkable display of who God is now the one final fact about Antioch was the Bible tells us that it was there that first they were called Christians it was there uh, so I, uh, the background of that story was this, okay? So, uh, first of all, they, the gospel went to the Jews, right? When they started to go to the Hellenists, they don't know what to call them. But as they began to grow, begin to go, begin to go, I'm sure the conversation happens like this. When people ask them and say, uh, actually, who is in charge here? Uh, Christ. Uh, what do you talk about? Uh, Christ. Uh, who kind of decide? Christ. So because every conversation potentially ended up with the importance of Christ, so they call Christian, which is Christian at the IAN, which is a way to describe that they were the people who followed Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And then they had such a, such a powerful display when they heard about the news. They responded. They didn't complain. They, were, they just responded and said, you know what? Let's stand together with them. And that's our heartbeat. Uh, even in this pandemic, I know that it's prolonged, but let's go beyond that because God is sovereign. All right? Then, the, the whole entire picture moves back to Acts chapter 12, which is where we're going to read uh, in uh, the next verse, uh, move back to Jerusalem, what's happening. And in Acts chapter 12, tell us two stories. One was Peter's miraculous deliverance out of the prison, and the other story was in Herod. And both really reveals the sovereignty of God. All right, verse 1, chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands. So, I mean, this, this, this Herod the king was a very unique figure because he was extremely violent, extremely uh, extreme, extremely extreme, okay, extremely uh, violent and very uh, vicious when it comes to dealing with Christian and persecution. And then he had violent hand on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Remember, James and John, James were the first 12 apostles uh, that was murdered. All right, Judas is carried, hung himself, but James was murdered. Remember when James and John came to Jesus in the book of Matthew, Mark, and he says, you know, could, could, could you set us up that we sit on your right and your left? Jesus said that the cup that I'm, I don't know whether, but he said you will drink and eventually points to James' death and John eventually, all right? But then the Bible says that King Herod, now, whenever you see the word King Herod, there were so many King Herods in the Bible. Herod is like Caesar. Everywhere is a Caesar. Everywhere is a Herod, all right? And they call it the Herodian legacy, okay? Or the Herodian generation tree. Now, so let me just kind of walk you very quickly. Uh, first of all, started with Herod the Great. Herod the Great actually uh, comes from the descendant of Esau. 
Esau, which is, has always a tension with Israel because of Esau and Jacob. So they always wanted to rule Israel, which is why when Herod the Great was nominated to be the Roman ruler, Herod has so much power and he treated the Jews was very bad. So Herod the Great, when Jesus was born, remember the story, the Bible says hundreds and thousands of babies were killed. That was Herod the Great. In fact, Herod the Great killed his own wife, killed two of his sons. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Herod the Great was the one that knew that when he was about to die, gave the instruction that when I die, I want you to kill the Jews and so that they will mourn. That was Herod the Great. It was a horrible, horrible king. Now Herod the Great then had a few sons these are some of them. You will notice that Herod Philip, which is a far right, at least from my point of view, far right Herod Philip, he was actually married to Herodias. So you find the name Herodias. Who is Herodias? Herodias is the daughter of Aristobulus, which is another of Herod's son. And Philip and Herodias were together, but one day Herodias fell in love with Herod Antipas because he saw that Herod Antipas has more power and he's one of the king of the Tetrarch, whatever. And he, she moves in, which is why when John the Baptist came, he always rebuked the Herod Antipas and Herodias. He always preached about it, saying, you know, you adulterous, whatever. Herodias could not stand it because every time when the parade goes on, he saw the king say, you adulterous, you know, and that is the attitude of John the Baptist. So Herodias actually eventually to Salome, which is the daughter, and um, killed uh, John the Baptist cut off his head and that is that story. And that was Herod Antipas, that was Philip and also Herodias. Now, Aristobulus has a son called Herod Agrippa number one. Now, when I read Acts chapter 12, we are dealing with Herod Agrippa chapter one. Oh, not chapter one, Herod Agrippa one. In fact, you will see that there's another Herod Agrippa two, which is Acts 25, when Paul was facing another King Herod. It was King Herod Agrippa two. All right, that's just a little bit of the history of the Herodian family. Okay, verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, you know what? Because he wanted the Jews to support him. He proceeded to arrest Peter. So killed James, arrested Peter, wanting to kill Peter, but because it was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squad of soldiers who got him. You will notice the amount of details to describe the soldiers and the chain. You know why? Because it was trying to, Luke was very strategic to have a detail said, no matter what chainers, he says, when God wants to deliver us, nothing can stop God. All right, so he was just giving you all the detail, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people so that he can actually kill him. So what King Herod saw that people were pleased, the Jews were pleased to kill James. He said, now, you know, I'm going to catch Peter because Peter is another leader for the church. And then he said, but I'm not, I can't kill him on Passover, on unleavened bread because the Jews is a very religious family. Uh, uh, you know, festival for them. So let me do it after that. So he put it in prison and fully guarded. And then the Bible says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You know, if you're listening to this message, I want you to say this statement. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer. You know, I want you to fill in the blanks for your life. Your, your life can be, I, I, I was kept, shut off in pandemic, but, you know what? Something about the but and the prayer that can always turn around. And the Bible tells us that they prayed earnestly, though they did not have all the faith. But it doesn't matter. So can I say this to you? If you are having financial struggle, you're having relational struggle, whatever it is, but earnest prayer will always make a difference wherever you are, all right? Now, then we moved on verse 12. Uh, sorry, verse 6, chapter 12. When Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, so the night before, Peter was sleeping between 
Look at the detail. Two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries, which is those who guarded at the door. Before the door were guarding the prison. There were just soldiers everywhere guarding Peter in between chains. He gives you all that detail. And what was interesting was Peter was sleeping. You know, something I think that we need to learn as we grow in God. When we learn to trust in the sovereignty of God, we can in the smack in the midst of the most difficult challenges we still can actually trust God fully and just like Peter. And then the Bible says, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in a cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chain fell off his hand. Now, what happened to the whole bunch of squadrons of soldiers? I don't know. Maybe God just made them all fall asleep or God just blinded their eyes, but no one actually knew what was happening. And Peter was so sound asleep that the angel has to wake him up. He said, Peter, Peter, come on, wake him up. And the Bible says he woke up, blur, blur, you know, and why I say that? Because as you read on, you'll find that. And the angel said to him, he says, dress yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, he says, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Just tell you from a Peter perspective, right? He thought he was, he was you. They thought it was a vision, you know? So, so there has to be some form of very supernatural way of God doing all these things that to the guards, they see nothing, feel nothing. To Peter, he was saying, is this real or not? All right? And then the Bible says, okay, the next one. He says, and they had passed the first and the second guard. They came to the iron gate. I mean, the amount of detail. First, second guard, chain, many guards, squadron, whatever. Iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord. This is the first auto gate in the Bible. All right, it just opened. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, just kind of, you know, woke himself up. He said, wow. He says, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent the angel to rescue me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12, when he realized, this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. Which John? This is John Mark, potentially the one that wrote, where other name was Mark, potentially the one that wrote the book of Mark. And this is also the place that many believe is the upper room, where 120 gathered in the book of Acts early part. This is also the place where they came together and they were praying right now. And then he says, many were gathered and they were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So this, this servant girl, you know, oh, it's Peter. And out of her excitement, she ran and said, it's Peter outside, all right? And then we moved on. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is this angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they opened, they saw him and were amazed by motioning to them with his hands to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and he said, tell these things to James. Wait, wait, wait. I, I thought James was murdered. No, no, this was the other James. The first James was John's brother, James. This is Jesus' personal brother, James. And then he said, tell it to all the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, some people felt that this is the turning point where Peter handed over the leadership to James, Jesus' brother, which then, Acts 13, 14, 15, 16, James' voice becomes very powerful. And it was this James, eventually, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, okay? I hope those little facts just help you to piece the Bible a little bit better. Now, what was interesting is this, okay? I'm going to stop here and just address that. Uh, you know, James and Peter were caught. One was murdered. One was miraculously delivered. 
uh, you know, as we live life, there's always this paradox that we've got to deal with. Uh, we couldn't explain, honestly. No, no one can explain. Can you imagine you, you, you know, James was dead and Peter was delivered and, and then you talk to Mrs. James and uh, Mrs. James, I, I send my condolence and why did, no one can explain that, right? But I want you to know, this reflects just the sovereignty of who God is, which means that sometimes things will never <clears throat> script out the way we meant it to be uh, because God is always sovereign. And in His sovereignty, He's able to take every one of us at different spots of life to reflect something that ultimately reflect the glory of God and be able to bring about the purpose of God. And that's just the beauty of who God is. You know, paradoxes are very real. I was in a conversation with Pastor Steve and some of the uh, Every Nation leaders. And Pastor Steve, who just got back from Africa, said this. He says when he was in Africa, he saw, <clears throat> uh, I talked to one of the pastors who buried 24 of his church members. But at the same time, this pastor mentioned about how the church has grown in the midst of the pandemic. A paradox. You just have to lay down all your heart, your grief of saying goodbye to 24, yet at the same time, you see people coming to know God. Paradox. Uh, and we see that all the time. Uh, some people we pray God healed, some people God, we pray God didn't heal. Uh, we were in Witten and one of our cohort, one of our friends, you know, and has struggled with this season because the wife couldn't, uh, couldn't come back. She was in other parts of the nations and, and for one and a half years they couldn't see each other. The mom is in ICU, critical. Uh, some of his, lost some of his friends in the pandemic and even in the midst of all of that, this particular friend of us was saying that, you know what, I am trying to live my life so that the grace of God is still abundant in the midst of it. So I want to say this, when we were in a paradoxical situation, the grace of God still can be exemplified. The grace of God is not only exemplified when we are healed. The grace of God is exemplified when we go through some of our most difficult, uh, ridiculous journey. You know, I was just reading uh, this particular life of David Paulison, and you can just Google, and uh, he was the one that, one of those people that make famous that little phrase called, Why Not Me? All right, and you can actually read. And one of the best was Gospel Coalition, David Paulison, and I think that is maybe the shortest and brilliant article written about him. Uh, he was struck with uh, pancreatic cancer, and he died at 69, if I'm not mistaken. He wrote a book that in the midst of his suffering. And then he says that whenever we are struck with suffering, our first response is, why me? He says, in this why me journey, you can actually gradually move to why not me? And in his book or in the article, he details about when you are struck with why me, instead of asking why me, you turn and he says, why you, God? Why God? And he was telling us that when we begin to focus on God and the sovereignty, we find that this sovereign God who walked into our suffering spot and lay his life down and in the midst of that brought up the glory and salvation. And then he says, when you begin to understand why God? Then he says, you then ask the most difficult question, why not me? And when you ask that question, you're saying that God, if I am the one that can take on the suffering and reflect just the glory of what it means to walk through there and still honouring you, then he says, I do not choose, but I am willing. He says, I now move from why me to why not me thinking. And I thought about it. The only way we're able to navigate through a paradoxical moment 
is that we are able to say, God, you are sovereign and I can put my trust in you. And that's the story of James and Peter. Now, verse 18, when that and when they came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers and see what had become. No little means there was a lot of commotion. Herod, again, his violent attitude, his uh, vicious character. Herod searched for him, did not find him. He examined the sentries, which is the guard, and ordered that they should be put to death. And he went down to, from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Where is Caesarea? Caesarea is all the way towards the coastal lines. That's how if you would have seen the coastal If you've seen Antioch down there, you've got two places called Tyre and Sidon. And down towards there is Caesarea. That's where Cornelius and all the Gentiles revival uh, broke up over there, alright? Now, uh, verse 20. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and uh, Tyre and Sidon uh, because they came to him with one accord and having persuaded blasters, uh, the king's uh, chamberlain. Now, what, what happened was because uh, Tyre and Sidon depended upon Herod for food and there was a lot of tension but they wanted to please King Herod. So they used one blasters, one of the king, uh, Chamberlain, and then they asked for peace. And uh, all right, it says about depending on the country for food. On an appointed day, Herod in Caesarea put on his royal robe, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them and the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed and, and breath his last. Wow. Now, this is a strange passage. Now, some of you will say, that, you know what, God can strike me anytime. No, no, it doesn't. This is one of the rare cases God dealt with King Herod. The other king that God dealt with is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? But God did not strike him. The Bible says he became insane and he humbled himself. And when he came off his being, he says that there is a greater ruler than who I am, right? So, but King Herod, God struck him dead. You know, God doesn't do that all the time. You find that God waits for everybody in the final judgment, right? You, Hitler, I mean, so many of them, God will just wait for the final judgment where God will judge. But for this particular case, uh, I don't know why. Uh, maybe he was so violent. Uh, maybe he has really caused a lot of harm. And then most of all, the Bible says, he took all the glory upon himself. You know, I want to say this, okay? Uh, sometimes there's a little Herod in every one of them. Sometimes we like to be celebrity. We like people to praise us, you know. We, certain things that we post, so people say, wow, you're such a... I don't know, but I want to say this, okay? Always watch out for pride. And this was pride at its maximum. And then he took all the glory and he did not acknowledge God in any capacity. And God decided that, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to step in, intervene. And then the Bible says that he was struck to death. And then the next verse says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. You know, God is really unstoppable. The gospel is unstoppable. But it takes a lot of partnership uh, with people like us. Uh, who goes through life in our own packages of challenges. Uh, we have to go through our, our, our pandemic situation. We have to go through our personal, for, for some of us, finance or whatever. But I want you to know, if you trust in God's sovereignty, the city of Antioch, God was sovereign. James and Peter, God was sovereign. Herod, God was sovereign then we are able to partner with Him, work through all the paradoxical situations in our life, and yet still be able to live out who God meant us to be. I want to close uh, with communion time. Uh, you know, 
Every time when we approach communion, there's a little thought. And I want you to be able to right now just take some time, gather all your communion, do this together with me. But these are my thoughts. If we trusted in the sovereignty of God, then we have a better chance to eventually be able to say, God, why not me? Now, I'm not asking you to pray a very sad prayer. I'm asking us to learn how to live with our paradoxical situation, with a God that's sovereign, and be able to say, God, not just why me, but God, why not me at times in life? As we come to the table of the Lord, um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray the content of today's word and be able to surrender our life unto God and trust in His sovereignty and be willing to be His partner to do what God has meant us to do. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful to you this morning as I take the bread, as I take the cup. Lord, I'm coming before your throne and I'm saying, oh God, Lord, uh, that you are sovereign and I'm willing. I'm willing to bow down. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to flow. I'm willing to be a servant and partner with you because you are a good God, great God, and a sovereign God. As I take this communion, Lord, I wanted to see for the next couple of months in the midst of all that this nation and the global world is going through, let me be someone that shine the light of Jesus wherever I am, whatever I do, no matter what I go through. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for the miracles, miracles that is in store for every one of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the break. Let's take the cup. Yeah, I want to say this before we go. You know, next weekend we're going to talk about distress. I felt like this is another word that can just kind of minister to people who are going to deal with anxiety, worries, hopelessness, suicidal, all the different emotional baggages that comes along with this. And believe God that God will use this just to strengthen the people around us, all right? Have a great weekend. I'll see you in dialogue shortly. God bless.